Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you go ahead and be turning to the book of James. We're continuing our study on practical Christian living, and we're in James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse number 6. All right, I want to ask this question. Who wants to decide? Who wants to decide today whether or not you want to be and experience a life of blessing and grace, blessing and grace, or or whether you want to experience a life of opposition to God and being disciplined by the Lord? Which, Which one do you want to decide? All right. Most of us want to be on that grace side. Amen. Want to be on the grace side and the blessing side rather than this side where it's an opposition to God and having to be under the discipline of God. Well, that's what James is talking about today. James in his practical Christian living, remember that James is written to believers, not to lost people. And he's talking about to us as Christians and he's, he's basically answering this question, if you want to be blessed, here's how you do it. Here's how you live. If you want to be on that grace side, here's how you get it. But, but if you choose to have certain things in your life, then you're going to be opposed by God. And you're going to be under the discipline of God. So you have the right to make that choice. You're going to be the one who makes that decision of which side you're going to fall in. What it says here in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. But he, talking about God... Gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud. King James Version said, God resisteth the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Let me read that again, all right? That's what it says. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. Let your joy turn to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. I want you to notice something about that first verse that we read. In verse number 6, in your Bibles, it should be denoted some way. Maybe it's all capital letters. Maybe it's got an asterisk by it. Some some way, your Bible should denote that this is not the first place in the Bible that this has ever been said. It's going to denote that it is a quotation actually from the Old Testament. It's actually from 2. It's from Psalm 138 is the first part. And then Proverbs 3, 34 is the second part. But, but basically it's letting you and me know that it's not the first time it's been said in God's Word. It's James repeating what has been said in God's Word. I have something else to share with you. Hold your hand there for just a minute and turn just one couple pages over your Bible to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. And you'll hear these words, God resisteth or opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Have you ever heard that before? Once again, Peter denotes that, that that's not the first place it's been said. It's quoted from the Old Testament, all right? 
So here's James written to believers. Here's 1 Peter written to believers. And both of them are quoting that which was written in the Old Testament to believers of the Old Testament. And all of them are basing this on this truth, this principle, that God, holy God, is going to resist and oppose the proud, but he is willing to give his abundant grace to those who are humble. You got it? Remember, that's written to believers. It's not talking about that lost person. It's talking about us. And and it says that if we choose to have pride, oh, sinful pride in our life, that God is going to resist us. He is going to oppose us. He is going to discipline us. That's going to be the reality in our life as believers. But if we choose to be humble and have humility of heart in relationship to God, he gives to us not just grace, but the greater grace. I like grace. You like grace? Well, you even like better, greater grace. Amen? That's God just abundantly providing. Well, that's the answer. That's the whole situation of what this is about. Is the fact, what are you going to decide? It's your choice. You're going to live with sinful pride in your life? Or are you going to live with a humility of heart? Are you going to live being blessed? Or are you going to live being disciplined? What are you going to do and how are you going to live in your life? So let's, we're going to focus on that today about this matter of pride and humility. The first thing I think is important, though, is for us to understand why is it that God, why is it that God has such a strong stance against pride? You ever wondered that? Why does God so oppose pride? Why does he resist pride in the life even of his children? Why does he do that? Well, I'm glad you asked it. Let me show you. Hold your hand here and turn to Proverbs. The book of Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs says. There are six things which the Lord hates. Did you hear that? Did you know there are certain things God hates? That's the strongest word in the Hebrew language. Hates. There are things God hates. There are six things, yea, seven things... That God hates. Here's what it says in verse 17. Very first thing. King James says, a prideful look. New American Standard says, haughty eyes. Those are just other other phrases for pride. Pride, a prideful look. Pride causes you to have a haughty eye towards other people. The very first thing of that list of six, yea, seven things that God hates, the very first thing that God says he hates, he hates sinful pride. He hates sinful pride. And he hates that sinful pride even if it's in you, his child, that he loves. Amen? He can love you, but he can hate that pride in your life, and he's going to work to get that pride out of your heart and your life so that you can have humility of heart and experience his greater grace. Why is it that God hates pride so very, very much? Well, it's, it's been a problem for a long time, and almost every major problem we've encountered and you see in history, in biblical history, has to do with pride. Let's talk about a few of those, right? How is it that Lucifer became Satan? It's all about pride because he wanted to have the position of God. He didn't want God to be God. He wanted to have the position of God. 
He wanted to elevate himself. And whenever it talks about that fall of Lucifer, it talks about the big I. I want this, and I desire this, and I need this. The reason that that cherubim fell and became our enemy and the enemy of God is because of his sinful pride. Why is it that Adam and Eve sinned? Because of pride. God said you are to do this or not do this, and they were to trust God, submit to God, be uh, willing to do what God says by principle. But what did they decide to do? They know better than God. They know better than God. So when old Satan comes along and deceives them, and he says, you can be like God if you ever take this, they decided they knew best, elevated themselves above God, and they partook and brought sin into their life and sin into the world. But that's not all. Why is it that Abraham would lie? The great man of faith, why would he lie about who Sarah was? Because of pride. Why is it that Moses missed going into the promised land? Why, why? Oh, well, because he struck the rock instead of he spoke to the rock. Well, that's exactly right. But go back and read that passage again. Do you know what else he did before he spoke to the rock? He told the children of Israel, how often and how much must we, wait a minute, we, how, how much we have to do to take care of you? You know who the other part of that we was? It was God. But he had elevated himself to what? To be Equal with God in what we're doing and providing you. He's not equal with God. He's a messenger of God. And because of his pride, he misses out on what God says. He doesn't hear what God says, and he does the wrong thing. And God restricts him from going in to the promised land, all because of pride. Why is it that David sinned with Bathsheba, and then he sinned against her husband Uriah by putting him to death? Because... He wanted to do and have what he wanted to have. And once he was found out, instead of humbling himself and admitting his sin, what did he do? He was protecting himself, all about himself, and went and killed Uriah. All of that has to do, the man after God's own heart sinned because of pride. Why is it that Judas Iscariot would have betrayed the Lord Jesus because he wanted those pieces of silver and to gain wealth. It was all about him. Do you understand why God would hate pride so very much? Because pride has caused the destruction of man. It's to cause the destruction of his world. Pride is the major problem, a major issue, and he hates it. Let me tell you one other thing that has to do with history right today. One reason that God hates, hates sin of pride so very much is because every person who's going to miss heaven, every person who's going to miss heaven and end up in hell, they're going to be there for one reason. It's because of pride. It's all about pride. You know why? Because the gospel tells us, and God makes very clear, that we can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We don't have the ability to save ourselves. But person after person continuously thinks they will be okay. They will be fine. They can save themselves. They'll make it all right. And they reject the gospel message that it's not you, but it's what Jesus does that gives you hope and gives you help for salvation. And the reason that people are going to go and do go to hell every day is because their pride will not let them ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior of their life. That pride. Now, I wish I could tell you that 
Pride is only something that lost people who are without Christ deal with. It'd be great that when we got saved, all of our pride went away and we just began to live humble in our lives. And humility is the major characteristic of our life. That's not true. It's not true because we know it experientially. Do you have a problem with pride, the big I problem? Last week we talked about the reason that there's sources of conflict within family or within a husband and wife is because we're looking out for ourselves. The big I problem, P-R capital I-D-E. I's right in the middle of pride, isn't it? It's also I's right in the middle of sin, S-I-I-N. Isn't that true? And, and this big I problem is a problem. And, and even though we get saved, we still have that old sinful nature. Therefore, we still have to battle with this aspect of pride. That's why James and Peter and the Word of God writes to us and says this, Beware! Beware! You can have pride in your heart and in your life. And when you have pride in your heart and life, God will resist you. Do you know what that word resist means? The word resist is a military term. It means to draw up battle lines against you. That's what it literally means. Hear that? I mean, if you are a child of God and you're going to walk in pride, it says God is going to draw up a battle line against you. Let me tell you something about your battle with God. If God draws up a battle line with you, you are not going to penetrate it. If God draws up a battle line with you, you have stopped. You have seen. You are where you are. You will not proceed. And some people in their spiritual journey are at the same place they were six years ago, ten years ago, eleven years, twelve. How, how many? The same place because pride has caused God to drop a battle line against them, and they've not moved anywhere. God says He resisted the proud because He hates it so much. He does not want it to be in your life or in my life. He is going to resist that, but he wants rather to give to us abundant grace, the greater grace. He wants that. And how do we have that? Because we don't have pride in our heart, but rather we choose to have humility of heart. See, pride and humility, the opposite sides of the coin. You you can't be prideful and be humble at the same time. You're going to be humble or you're going to be prideful and you're going to make the choice. I'm going to be prideful and God's going to resist me, be humble and experience the grace of God. So how do we, how do we get to this point of where we have humility in our life to where we experience the greater grace? That's what it's talking about here, the rest of it. What it says in verse 6 and 7, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Here's the first thing. Here's the first step towards having humility of heart. Here it is. Submit, therefore, to God. Do, do, you know the, do you know the first thing you have to do to have humility of heart? You have to submit to God. That means you're going to let God be God and realize you're not. Did you, did you hear what I just said? You, you are not God. You may think you are. But you will never be a capital G. You're just a little G, all right? You're the little G in your life. You may think you are, but you are not. In order for you to experience the grace of God, you have got to submit to God, and that means you recognize He is God. You're God, and I'm not. You have every right to do whatever, to ask of me whatever you want to, and I 
humble myself before you. I bow before you. I recognize that you are God. That's the first thing you have to do. If you can't do that, listen, if you cannot submit to a holy, all-powerful God and do that with great humility, you're going to have a real difficult time submitting to anybody else in life. Because he is absolutely perfect and he is God. So the first step towards that is that you must submit yourself to God. You must submit yourself to God. And when you submit yourself to God, it moves you into a good position you need to be in. Because look what happens next in verse 7. Notice what it says. Submit therefore to God. Listen. Resist the devil. Do you know the best way to resist, resist the devil? Submit to God. See, see, God and the devil are not, they're not, not going to coexist. They're not on equal parts. Wherever God is Lord and wherever he is in rulership, wherever he reigns, the enemy cannot have power. He cannot overcome. He is going to be defeated. So if you want to resist the old enemy, who is your enemy, then you submit to God. And by submitting to God, you will resist the enemy. You'll resist the devil. This particular passage has some powerful promises. If you are a person who claims the promises of God, it has a powerful, three powerful promises in here. Listen to what it says. It says, first of all, resist the devil. What's the other part? Read it. Look in your Bible. Don't look at me. Look in your Bible. Resist the devil. Here's the promise. And what? And he will flee from you. That is a promise from God. You claim that. Whenever you're doing battle with the old enemy, do you ever have to do battle with him? I hope you realize he's battling you. Whenever he's battling, you have to do battle with him. And whenever you do battle with him, you're going to resist him. And here's what the Word of God says. If you choose to submit to God, resist the devil, the devil has to and must flee from you. What a great promise. That's worth coming today. Amen. I can resist the devil and I can claim the word of God. You need to put that in memory. You need to walk out here and tomorrow when the old devil tries to bother you, and oh yes, he will try to bother you, and he's going to try to make you stumble and hinder you, then you have to say this, I'm going to submit to God, I'm resisting you, and the promise of God says, you must flee. You can't stay on the premises. You can't stay in my heart and life. You can't be affecting me. What a great promise. Resist the devil and he will flee. How do you resist him? By submitting yourself to God. By submitting yourself to God. Now, whenever that happens, look what happens in the next verse, verse number 8. It says, here's a great promise. Draw near to God. Here's the promise. What? And he will draw near to you. There's the second promise in there. If you choose to draw near to God, how? By submitting to God. I'm going to draw near to you, letting you be God over my life. Here's the promise. He will draw near to you. Let me show you how that helps, how that promise helps. Have any of you ever felt like that God was a million miles away? Have you? You ever felt like you haven't been able to break through? You haven't been able to hear him? You wonder where he is? What a great verse. Because the claiming the promise of God is 
is, Lord, I'm choosing to draw near to you. Lord, Lord, I want to draw near to you. I'm desiring that in my heart, and I claim, no matter what my emotions feel, no matter what anybody else might say, I claim this, that as I draw near to you, you have promised in your word that you will draw near to me. That's all it takes. That you choose to draw near to him, By submitting to him, he will draw near to you. That's a second great promise. Reading this passage, it weren't just for those promises. Well, how is it that we're going to draw near to God? How is it we submit to God? Listen listen to what it says there in verse 8. It's very important that you hear this. Listen. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Here it is. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, this is where I'm going to lose you. This is where the old devil is going to cause you to want to think about something else, okay? So I want you to really stay focused right now. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. Stay focused. Whenever it comes to getting right with God, when it comes to getting close to God, submitting to God, I want to tell you what you have to deal with. You have to deal with something called sin. Uh Uh-oh. We don't like that. We don't like talking about sin, especially when it's our sin. Well, I want you to look at everybody in this room, and I want you to everybody look around. You, you have for a minute. Look around. Everybody you see, they're sinners. All right? We're all sinners. We all sin. Now, you can, you can fool yourself all day long, but you are a sinner. You do not live one day in your life that you do not commit sin. All right? Oh, Brother Mac, I, I've had good days. You had not had that good a day. You haven't had that good a day. You know? Oh, I, I've had days when I haven't done anything wrong. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> you must have been sleeping all day. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Read a few verses down in James. We'll be talking about it next week. You know what it says in James? You know what he says about, he says, To him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. In other words, it's not just that I don't do certain things, but if I know there are certain things I should be doing and I'm not doing it, I have sinned. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I realize I'm a sinner. Look at them. Tell them you need to learn. You need to confess. I I realize I'm a sinner. It doesn't feel real good. I wish the preacher would move on. The thing that hinders us in relationship to God, the reason we're not near to God, the reason we're not humble of heart, is because we have sin. And James says, now, if you're going to get close to God and you're going to draw close to God, you're going to have to deal with your sin. You're going to have to deal with it. He said, the first thing you're going to have to do, you've got to cleanse your hands. And that means the actions of sin. We do actions of sin. We carry out things and activities and, and things that are sin that the God reveals is sin. And he says, you've got to clean up your action. You've got to clean up what you do with your hands. But, but he doesn't stop there. That would be okay if he could just say, just, just what you do with your hands, just clean that up. But that's not where he stops. He says, you've also got to purify your hearts, you double-minded Purify your hearts. You know what that's talking about, our hearts? It's talking about our thoughts. Our thoughts. It's talking about our attitude. It's talking about the inner part of us. Have you ever done the right thing and couldn't stand doing it? 
Don't look at me like you're so holy. If you, I mean, you're just doing it. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going pride makes me do it. You know what I'm talking about. God wants your heart to be right. He, want, he doesn't want just you to do the right thing. He wants you to want to do the right thing. And, and sometimes whenever we think we got the actions right, God comes and starts doing surgery in our hearts. We're double-minded. On one side, yeah, we want to do the right thing. There's a part of me that says, I don't want to do the right thing. This is the way I should respond, but I don't want to do that. Do you have that battle going on inside of you? Yes, you do, whether you know it or not. Yes, you do. You do. And and what James says is this. If you're going to draw near to God, if you're going to submit to God, you're going to have to deal with your sin. You're going to have to deal with the actions that are sinful. You're going to have to deal with the thoughts and attitudes that are sinful. You're going to have to deal with sin because sin is what hinders your relationship with God. Let me show you a passage of Scripture that is important for you to memorize or to have in your heart. It's in Isaiah Chapter 59, Isaiah chapter 59, listen to what this says. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is the ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, that's another word for sin, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Not a God, not the God, your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Your sin is a hindrance in your relationship to God. So you got to get that right. Now he, here's something. Next he says, you wonder, why is this there? Look at verse 4. I mean, verse 9. This is what it says. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. What in the world has that got to do with anything? Well, let me tell you something. When you get serious about sin, you'll know what that's about. And and basically, verse number 9 is James' way of saying, get serious about your sin. Get serious about your sin. That means that you need to realize what sin costs you. And you also need to realize what sin costs Jesus. You need to get serious about your sin. And whenever you realize your sin and you're serious about it, it'll cause you to be miserable and it'll cause you to mourn. It'll cause you to weep. How long has it been since you wept over your sin? You mourned and grieved over your sin. If you haven't grieved and mourned and wept over your sin lately, it's not because you're living that perfect life. It's because you're not realizing what sin cost you and how much it cost Jesus. It goes on, though. (laughs) Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Don't live a superficial life where all you do is walk through life laughing. Now, I love to laugh as much as anybody. I love to have a good time and I I love to have joy and laughter. But there's a time for everything, isn't there? There's a time for joy. There's a time for There's a time to be sorrowful. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to grieve. 
And in that time of mourning and grieving is whenever we have sinned and we understand our sin. And we take serious our sin. And when we take serious our sin, we come before Almighty God and say, God, forgive me. Cleanse me. I'm sorry for that. And, and whenever we're willing to do that, that, that's not where God wants us to live. He, he's not saying, I want you to always walk around grieving and sorrow. No, he said, I want you to grieve and have sorrow. I want you to mourn over sin so you can have real joy. Not some superficial joy, not some empty laughter, but you can have the real joy that flows from within you. How long has it been since you had just real joy flowing out of you because it's flowing in you? Real joy. That's what he wants. That's why the passage ends with the third promise. And what a great promise it is. Look at it in verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. He's just talked about all that humility. That submitting to God, drawing near to God, realizing I'm a sinner, grieving over my sin, confessing my sin before Almighty God, letting him cleanse my heart. We have humbled ourselves before God. Listen to what it says. Verse, Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. Here's that promise. And he will exalt you. Not you exalt you. Not you lift you up. He will exalt you. If you want joy unspeakable, if you want to know that sense of the fullness of God in your life, let God exalt you. And James is talking to the people of that day, and he's talking to us. And saying, man, the greatest thing you can do is to humble yourself before Almighty God in His presence and let Him exalt you. Please do not live without that experience in your life. Do not live in the second-rate class of Christianity because you're trying to act like something rather than let Him make you something. And what it takes is realizing I have pride in my heart, as everybody does. Humbling myself before a holy, awesome God. And, and, and allowing, him, allowing Him to forgive me and cleanse me of that wretched sin that causes me so much grief. And that He had to pay for. And that He... He will exalt me. He'll exalt you. In Jesus' teaching, I'm sure he focused, he could have taught so many things, but in, in his teaching and what the Holy Spirit caused him to teach that was recorded by the writers of the gospel, there's one story found in Luke chapter 18. It's only about five or six verses. But it's such an important story about this that Jesus teaches. It was the story of the Pharisee and the publican. You remember that story? And Jesus is, is letting that be the illustration of what James is saying. He said, two men went down to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee in this story is a picture of pride. He goes there and he stands up to pray. And he prays and says, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I'm not poor and wretched and sorry like the people of the world and like this old publican over here. Thank you, God, I'm not like him. 
But I give of tithes and of men. I give, I give you money. I give you tithes. And I, I'm, just, I, I, I'm just so glad that you have me on your team. Basically what he says. I'm glad that you were blessed to have me on your team. And that's the way he prays. Then there's the old publican, the old sinner. He doesn't stand up and pray, but he falls on his face to pray. He's not looking down his nose at anybody else because if he looks down his nose, all he sees is dirt. He falls on his face and he cries out to God and says, God, forgive me for I am the wretched sinner. Using the definite article, the, I am the worst of sinners. I've done all kinds of things that are wrong, but I, I'm, I'm weeping over it and I'm sorry for it. And I ask you, Lord, to change me. Jesus tells that story, and then he tells this final, final statement. He says, that old publican who humbled his heart went down to his house justified. Where the Pharisee, with all of his pride, went back home unchanged. Went back home unchanged. Do you know that that's a picture of us some way? either the Pharisee or the publican. But I hope that you long in your heart to where you don't just show up to church and go home unchanged, amen? But rather you come as the old publican, submit to God, confess your sin, get right with God, and walk out of there justified. Justified by the justifier who can make us right. Why? Because we humble ourselves, submit to God, and he draws near to us. We humble ourselves and submit to God, and he exalts us in the fullness of glory. He exalts us. That's the word of God. That's what James is teaching. The real question is, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? It's our decision. Nobody can decide that for you. Nobody can do it for you. You can't blame anybody else. It's all up to you. What are you going to do? You're going to walk in pride? Or you're going to walk in humility of heart? Be blessed? Or be disciplined? Walk with God? Or be opposed by God? Even as a child of God, what will you do? I pray you choose humility of heart. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.